Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. Oh, it's so good to be in church. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 10, and we are wrapping up a series called Momentum Moments. And the topic today I want to talk to you about is Kingdom Momentum, Kingdom Momentum on this Serve Shirt Sunday. For those of you that were here last week, how many of you appreciated the word that Johnny Baby Blue Eyes Green brought to us? Somebody stopped me last week and said, you know, Pastor, I know they call you the Bishop of Biceps, but Pastor Johnny is the Deacon of Delts. Did you see his shoulders? That dude is strong. Pastor David, you're pretty strong too, man. I just, I don't want you to get insecure. <laughs> How many appreciate Pastor David's abs? Didn't he? Your abs were looking really tight. I'm going to call you the Apostle of Abs. We got the Deacon of Delts, the Apostle of Abs. The bishop's still right here, baby. Okay. <laughs> Let's get in the word. My goodness. Oh, man. Mark chapter 10. Have you ever noticed how preoccupied we are in this culture with good seats? Premium seating. We want the best seats. We, we want to be positioned in the best places. Um, I don't know if you've, I know the travel has changed over the last several months, but when you fly on an airplane, how many of you, you do not want that middle seat? Keep me out of the middle seat. If you land in the middle seat, then you put that armrest down, right? Because you got to mark out your space. Come on, nod, nod your head at me. And then even then it's a little awkward because it's like, well, who owns the armrest? You know, you kind of got to muscle your way and claim your spot. Or, you know, once you get on the plane, how many of you, you, you appreciate an empty seat next to you? Oh, yes, you do. Yes, you do. You sit down, and you're the only one on the row. There's that empty seat right there next to you. And everybody that's walking on the plane, you're like praying. You're saying, walk on by. Oh, sweet Jesus, give me this space right here. And you think you're safe until that mama comes with that screaming child sitting right next to you. Oh, and even the flight attendant on a plane. I mean, there's, the seating is a big deal because there's first class, which is at the front of the plane. And then there's where the rest of us sit, right? And that flight attendant, you know, she close, before she closes the curtain to separate, because there's got to be a separation, she has to let you know that up here is where the first class people are sitting. And before she closes the curtain, she gives you that look that says, if you just would have tried harder, maybe I wouldn't have to do this. We all like premium seats. Uh, when I was young growing up, go for a ride, we would call our seats. Hey, I got shotgun, right? I'm going to sit up front. I'm going to have the view. Not one time did I ever say, I got the back seat in the middle with my feet on the hump. <laughs> Come on, are you with me? Or what about that milestone moment? Maybe it was at a holiday or a family gathering when you moved from the kiddie table to the grown-up table. Come on, somebody. You remember that transition? You finally arrived at the adult table. You got your seat. Even in church. How many know we like our seats in church? Yeah, some of you, I recognize you because of the seat that you're sitting in. If you were to change seats, I would have to look twice because I don't recognize you. How many has ever walked up to your spot and somebody was sitting in it? And you're like, oh, 
you must be new. (laughs) Mark chapter 10 is the story of a couple disciples who were really hung up on their seating. They, 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 they were particular about premium spots next to Jesus. I want you to read this with me in Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 33. Jesus says, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem. Now, he's speaking to the disciples in a personal conversation with the 12. He says, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priest and the teachers of religious law. They'll sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. Now, Jesus is predicting the future. He's foretelling future events. Don't you love the fact that Jesus knows the future? Even though we don't, we live in uncertain times. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds our future. Jesus is telling them what's about to happen. He says in verse 34, they will mock him. They will spit upon him. They'll flog him with a whip and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. "Uh, Teacher, we want you to do us a favor. What's your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor right next to you. One on your right and the other on your left. Now, let me stop right here and just conjecture. Can I do this? It's, it's fascinating to me how Jesus is predicting his brutal torture. He's going to suffer. They're going to beat him and crucify him. He will die on a cross. And yet James and John says, Jesus, can you do us a favor? I mean, hello, have y'all ever been in a conversation pouring your heart out to somebody? And you know by their response that they weren't listening to a word you said. And you're like, uh, hello, did you hear what I said? I think this is fascinating. I'm so glad the scripture records this conversation. Aren't you glad that God doesn't record and publish all of your dumb questions and requests? Man, this is so encouraging. Jesus is telling them again what's going to happen again and again and again. You know, I used to wonder why Jesus always repeated himself until I had kids. And then I realized, okay, they didn't get it the first time. I've got to say it again. James and John were like, hey, can you do us a favor? I know you're going to suffer, bleed, and die. Yeah, that's all good. But can you do us a favor? Jesus says to them in verse 38, (laughs) you don't even know what you're asking. Oh, my, oh, my. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied. (laughs) Oh, yes, we are able. How many of you know we have fancy ideas about ourselves that aren't always true? Oh, yeah, we got that. Lord, check, check, and double check. Next. (laughs) Jesus, this is so funny. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup. And be baptized with the baptism of my suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Doesn't it feel like a little group of junior high kids? Man, they're just jealous. They're indignant. In fact, I think that they were upset because they didn't have the idea first. They thought James and John were getting a leg up on them. And so they didn't want them to get ahead. Don't you love how the Bible shows the humanity of the disciples? 
I love that because if there's hope for these 12, there's hope for you and me. If Jesus could pick this bunch of insecure, selfish, you know, narcissistic disciples and use them to change the world, then surely he can do something with you and me. Oh, this is so good. So Jesus calls them together, verse 42. He says, huddle up, huddle up. Have you ever had to huddle your family? Okay, come on, y'all gather up, gather up. And this is what he says. There's a lesson in this. He says, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. I love that. Sometimes I have to pull my kids aside and say, wait a second, you are different. I know your friends are doing this, but you're different. You don't walk like, act like, talk like, think like, do like everybody else. You are different in order to make a difference. I believe God's saying something to us as a church. Don't take your cues from culture. Don't let social media shape your values. You are different. Now, I know the world says this, but among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your what? Servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Can I have an amen for the reading of the word? Oh, this is so rich. Now, in this passage, I want to point to three specific movements that I think are going to help us on this Serve Shirt Sunday as we wear red and and we hear Jesus say these words. The first thing is this. If you're taking notes, and I want you to jot some things down because I believe that history makers are note takers. Write down the word serving. Everybody say serving. This is the main idea. Jesus is wanting his disciples to learn something in this passage. Interesting to note that James and John were, were so concerned with sitting, and yet Jesus was thinking about serving. James and John wanted to make sure they were seated at the right places, but Jesus wanted to remind them it's not where you sit, but it's how you serve. Come on, somebody. You see, sitting makes me think about me. But serving forces me to think about you. And I think the the longer we walk with Jesus, the less we should be concerned with ourselves. James and John, they aren't thinking about God's glory in heaven. They're thinking about their own prominence here on earth. And yet Jesus is saying, whoa, whoa, we got to shift gears. We need to think differently. Why? There's a different spirit inside of you. And when I look across this church, and I want you to know how, how privileged, how proud, and how pleased Rachel and I are to be connected to what God's doing through you. Now, I, this is a special place. It, it really is. There is a favor upon this house. There's an anointing upon this church, and I'm not saying this in a self-serving way. But God will anoint us for specific assignments. And once you see this, God puts favor upon us, and it's not for status. It's about service. Why would God put favor on you? It's not to make you better than somebody else. The blessing on you is not for you. Come on, somebody. God puts favor upon a group of people, and it's not about status. It's about service. And yet James and John, they were concerned about status. And Jesus had to constantly remind them. How many of you, you just want to be a servant of God? I I just want to be a servant. 
You know, when it's all said and done, I want to hear five words from one man. I want to hear Jesus say, well done, good, faithful servant. I just want to be a servant. It's not about titles. It's about towels. Come on, let me roll up my sleeves and let me serve the least, the last, the lonely, and the lost. I just want to be a servant. Listen, everybody wants to be called a servant, but nobody wants to be treated like one. Mm, come on, come on, hum at me this morning. Mm. Oh, I just want to be a servant. Well, you know what? Guess what comes with that? Jesus said, I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be whipped. I'm going to be crucified. Oh, Lord, I'm not sure I want all of that. Can we just leave that to the side? You know, Jesus is much more concerned about who we're becoming and where we're going than the places of prominence that we seek. You know, the kingdom of God, here's something fascinating. The kingdom of God does not sit still. It's not stationary. It's active. You know, so the kingdom is not about where you sit. It's about how you serve. Come on, somebody. You know, it's interesting. I didn't share this in the previous two services. One of my good friends, his name is Michael Layman's, And Michael's been a part of this church for a long time. And, you know, this church began to grow. And, man, God began to bless. And, man, a lot of people started coming. And so, man, he would get stuck in the parking lot after service and just complain about traffic in the parking lot. And he found himself complaining. And the Spirit of the Lord said, wait, wait, wait a second. Instead of complaining, why don't you do something about it? And so you know what he did? He said, I'm going to sign up to serve on the parking team. And do you know that was 15 years ago? Michael Lamons has been serving with our parking team for 15 years. I called him this week. I said, Michael, man, what, tell me what's up. How long have you been with us? Man, it's been a long time. I'm still out here in the parking lot, Pastor. And I thought, you know what? The source of your frustration can be the seeds of your inspiration. Oh, come on. That's Holy Ghost right there. I didn't say that in the first two services. See, we saved the best for last. Come on, somebody. Serving in the parking lot. You know what? He said, I'm going to do something about it. The kingdom of God does not sit still. And so if you're concerned about places of seating, then you might miss the greatest opportunity of serving. You know, when we serve, Walls begin to fall. Walls fall when we serve. And I want you to consider this. We live in a country and in a culture that is so divided. I mean, if you watch the news and you see what's happening across our great nation, it's heartbreaking to see the strife, the division, the anger, the animosity. If there's ever a day where we needed kindness and compassion, it's today. Are you with me? And see, God has placed us as a church. When we serve, walls fall. That division and strife and hatred, it cannot exist. Listen to this. When you serve, serving keeps hate from entering your heart, and it allows you to bring healing to somebody else's heart. Come on. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord. Can I say that again? When you serve, it keeps hate from getting in here. You see, the enemy wants to put hate in your heart for somebody that doesn't look like you, for somebody that doesn't, doesn't act like you, maybe somebody that doesn't vote like you. Whoa, whoa, what, what are you talking about, pastor? I'm not talking about politics. This is prophetic. This is the anointing of the church. It's not Democrat. It's not Republican. It's not black. It's not white. It's the kingdom of God that moves forward through kindness and compassion. 
Mm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. What would happen if every believer in Christ made a commitment to serve? If kindness would move forward in such power that walls of hostility would begin to fall? You see, that's the kind of revival and awakening that this great, great nation needs. The Bible says in Proverbs eleven seventeen, your kindness will reward you, but your cruelty will destroy you. My, oh my, are we seeing such destruction because of a cruel, mean, bitter spirit? What's the answer? The answer is serving in kindness. Listen, don't let being right keep you from being kind. You see, kindness is the language that everybody speaks. Kindness is the language that a deaf man can hear, a blind man can see, and a lost man can feel. The Bible says it's the loving kindness of God that leads us to repentance. How do we want the world to come to know Jesus? How will they repent of their sins and turn to God? There's got to be an example of serving in the earth today. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve others. You see, there's no such thing as a small assignment. Well, it's just a bottle of water. What could that do? It's just a meal. What could that do? It's just a $25 gift card. What could that do? You know, you think it's nothing. Listen, if you think what you're doing is small, you've forgotten who you're doing it for. You're doing it unto the Lord. Now, watch this. If you do small acts of kindness with a great heart of love, then big things happen. Jesus said, I, I came not to be served, but to serve. James, John, you got it all wrong. Don't care where you sit at the table. Just make sure that you're serving somebody close by. Somebody say serving. serving. Number two, he says, suffering. Jesus spoke of a bitter cup of suffering. Well, Lord, I'd rather just serve without the suffering. Lord, does it really have to hurt? God, please, let, let, let it be convenient. Let it be comfortable. And, you know, the Scripture talks about suffering a lot. And I wouldn't do you justice as your pastor if I didn't talk to you about the role that even suffering can play in our lives. And I know this flies in the face of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. I'm not saying that God doesn't want to bless you. He does. God wants abundance for you. He wants your life to grow and be blessed and favored and loved and nurtured. But you will go through seasons of suffering. Jesus spoke of a bitter cup of suffering. And I thought about, this is why on this table you see these, these two containers. You see this little saucer, this cup but then you see this big old gallon jug. And I know sometimes when we're suffering, it feels like this. You go to bed at night and, uh, you know, you, there's just heaviness on you. You wake up in the morning and you wonder, will it ever get better? Let, let me stop right here and say this. Please don't miss next Sunday. Next Sunday, I want to put this on your radar and I want you to help me pray. Next Sunday, I'm going to preach on depression, anxiety, and mental illness. Okay, because the last six months in our nation, it has taken its toll on a lot of people. Would you help me pray? 
And some of you need to invite people. If you know they've been battling depression or anxiety or even mental illness, there is hope. There's going to be a, a great outpouring, I believe, of God's spirit next Sunday. God's put a message on my heart. And I've never preached on this in 24 years of ministry. But I think next Sunday is going to be powerful. You know, there's so many days that we go through, and when we're in the middle of suffering, it feels like this. When really the truth is, Jesus took the cup, the big cup, and he says, I'm going to let you drink from the little cup. You see, suffering, what Jesus went through in his brutal torture and his beating on the way to Calvary, and he laid his life down on that cross 2,000 years ago. He drank the big gulp, and he says, you know what? You can take a taste out of this. You know, the, the truth is this. There is something on the other side of our suffering. And the devil doesn't want you to consider that. The devil wants you to think that now is forever. Can I tell you this? Now is not forever. There is the gracious hand of God that is guiding us through seasons of suffering, but there's something called glory on the other side of that. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. He says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that one day will be revealed in us later. Come on, somebody say, suffer now. Say, glory later. Say, suffer now. Say, glory later. We cannot lose sight of the glory that's on the other side of suffering. Otherwise, if you do, you will get so discouraged. You will get so bogged down that the glory on the other side gives us hope to keep moving forward. Now, I'm going I'm to give you a, a, two statements that we need to slow down just for a little bit, okay? I want you to engage your mind and open your heart for what I'm about to say. I want you to think about it. We're going to have to wrap our brain around this. I want you to see how this works. But there is a divine connection between succeeding and suffering, okay? I want you to see this. Everybody wants success. Everybody avoids suffering. But I want you to listen to this. If you're suffering without succeeding, somebody else will. If you're succeeding without suffering, somebody else already did. Okay, now let me, let me rewind that. <laughs> Try this again. Succeeding and suffering, there's a divine connection. And we know this instinctively, but I want you to hear with your head and your heart, if we're suffering and we're not seeing any success, somebody else is going to succeed on the back of our suffering. Right, parents? Isn't that what we do for our children? We want something better for our kids, so we're going to suffer now so that they will succeed on the back of that, right? But watch this. If you're succeeding and you're not suffering, somebody else suffered for you. Somebody paid the price so you can sit in that seat and receive the gospel today. Somebody suffered so that you could have that position, that opportunity, that, that, that favor. Listen, success and suffering are tied. This is the story of the gospel. In fact, this all points back to Jesus. Jesus said, I'm going to suffer and die on a cross. But three days later, watch this, because of my suffering, you will have salvation and succeed in everything that I've called you to do. Come on, can I have a good amen? Oh, this is important. We got to think about what's on the other side of our suffering. You know what? As believers, we want to avoid suffering, but sometimes God says, embrace it. 
embrace this season of suffering. Now, here's what we do, and I didn't really uh, uh, develop this idea in the previous services, but I want you to hear this, because sometimes we have our theology wrong when it comes to suffering. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.12, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We're all going to go through a season of suffering, but watch this. Here's where we've got to be careful. Don't be quick to attach sin to somebody else's suffering. Well, if somebody's suffering, we think that they've sinned. Wasn't that the issue with Job and his friends? Job was blameless. Man, he didn't do anything wrong. And yet his friends, come on, how many know with friends like that who needs enemies? His friends try to say, well, Job, man, you, you sinned. Obviously, you got sin all up in your life. And God's like, whoa, 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 time out, time out, time out. Man, don't attach sin to suffering. Sometimes a season of suffering is the classroom of learning. There are things that you can learn through suffering that abundance and prosperity will never teach you. Let's get our theology straight when it comes to suffering. Sometimes we set people up for failure when we say this. Oh, just give your life to Jesus and you'll never have another problem. <laughs> well, how's that working out for you? Sometimes when you say yes to Jesus, here come the problems. You know what? Mama used to say this. If you haven't run into the devil, you might be running with him. Right? You were running with the devil. And then when you said yes to Jesus, you turned and went the other direction. Guess what? Now there's problems. There's heartache. There's challenges. There's obstacles. Why? Because you have become a threat to the enemy. Come on now. Suffering isn't always about sin. Sometimes it is. Sometimes we create our own pain. But other times, it's a season where God is developing us. He's teaching us. He's growing us. Are you with me? Come on, somebody say serving. Say suffering. Now finally say sacrifice. Jesus said, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. That word ransom there means to pay the price. Jesus is going to pay the price for our freedom. The bondage that we were born into required a price to be paid, and Jesus sacrifices himself to bring us to a place of freedom. All of this points back to Jesus. All of this points to Jesus. Serving points to Jesus. Suffering points us to Jesus. Sacrificing points us to Jesus. You know what, church? We will not get away from sacrifice. You never will. Anything great will always require sacrifice. You want a great marriage? It's going to require some sacrifice. If you want great kids, come on, mom, come on, dad. How many know you had to sacrifice for those kids? If you want promotion or growth or advancement on your job, it's going to require sacrifice. And Jesus says the same. Hey, if we want to be great as a church, let's be willing to sacrifice. You know, when you came in, you, you got one of these little bookmark things. And, you know, Pastor David talked about it earlier, about opportunities we have to serve this week. And you know what? This is just a, a, a small list of great, I mean, you just can't put a limit on how many thoughts or ideas or ways, creative ways that you can serve. You know what helps some of us is to sit down with some friends or maybe get in our small group and say, hey, what can we do this week to sacrifice? How can we step up and serve? Maybe it's here. Maybe it's something not even thought of. Maybe you see a need 
Maybe it's something at your work or, or, or in your neighborhood or a, a problem that you've been facing and you get people around. Creative ways. How can we serve or add value to lift somebody up? And more often than not, I think you'll discover this, that whatever you sacrifice, whatever it is that you give up, whether it's time, whether it's your treasure, hey, I'm going to give in this offering, $25 gift card to a displaced, you know, hurricane victim or whatever it is. Whatever you sacrifice, whatever you give up, it's amazing how it comes back to you. In fact, I would say this, more often than not, in the journey that I've had in serving Christ, I'm 46 years old, and so probably about a 40-year journey with Jesus, I've always found this to be true. Whatever God has required of me to sacrifice, what I have received in return has always been greater in quality, in character, and in kind. It's always been greater. And so I guess my question is this. When you get back more than you give up, is it really a sacrifice? Come on, are you, are you catching this? Jesus, you gave your life. Heaven was bankrupted. What little bit that God asks of me, if I just surrender to him, it's coming back even greater. This is the, be- the blessed life. Come on now. Because we understand the value of sacrifice. There's kingdom opportunities when we sacrifice. You know, a number of years ago, I remember on a Wednesday night, we just finished church, and uh, man, we were staying around here talking. I, I, I love, I love a church that, as soon as service is over with, they don't run off, but they just visit. That just speaks of health. It speaks of spiritual family. And so we had stayed around talking, and you know, man, I, I think we shut the lights out on our way out. We're always the last ones to leave, and that's because we just love, we love being with the family. Now I remember I jumped in my car. I was by myself. I was headed home. This was several years ago, and it was probably about 10.30 at night. And I was headed home. We were living in Prairieville at the time, and so driving down Airline Highway, I took a left on Highway 42, and then right at the intersection of 42 and 73, I see this car is stalled, and it's stuck in the middle of the road. Now, it's late at night, and there was a a lady beside the car. She was by herself, and, you know, as I was driving, I was thinking, man, I, I think I probably preached something about the love of Jesus or something like that. And whew, here this lady is, and it's late. And I say, like, oh, man, I can't just drive by her. <laughs> I, I got to help. How many know we can't just preach about the love of God and then not extend a helping hand? And so I pulled over, and now this whole, all these thoughts are running through my mind because, number one, I know nothing about cars. Zero. Or, you know, the hood of her car was up, and, you know, Not one time have I ever looked under the hood of a car and said, yeah, that's your problem right there. If you ever see me on the side of the road with the the hood up of my car, call somebody, please. (laughs) And so, okay, so I know nothing about cars, but then also it's kind of a different situation. She was a female and she's by herself and it's late at night and here's a strange dude walking up in. So I understand there's a little intimidation here. And so I got out my car, started walking slowly toward her. And then I realized that she had no reason to be intimidated. Her biceps were bigger than mine. <laughs> she had tattoos up and down both arms. That girl was smoking a cigar. Come on, somebody. <laughs> In fact, I was getting a little intimidated. I was checking my phone, making sure I had Rachel on speed dial. 
Man, I'm like, baby, if I disappear, you know it's 72 or 73 and Highway 42. That's the last time somebody saw me. So I came up, I was like, hey, is, can I help you in any way? She's like, I, I don't know what happened. My car just died. I said, well, you know what? Let, let's go ahead and get the car out the road. And so I put it in neutral, started pushing her car to the shoulder of the road, got it out of, out of traffic. And then she asked me a question I thought was random. She said, are you Catholic? <laughs> I was like, what, why? <laughs> she said, well, I noticed in your vehicle, there's a crown of thorns around your rearview mirror. I was like, oh, yeah, that crown of thorns. No, look, a guy in my church made me that crown of thorns years ago. And so I put it on my rearview mirror to keep me holy and sanctified as I'm driving these streets. Come on, somebody. How many know you can lose your salvation like that? Say, oh, pastor, you preach like an angel out of heaven on Sunday, but then on Monday you drive like a bad, mm-hmm, come on, somebody. She said, a guy in your church made that for you? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, what church do you go to? I said, well, there's a church up in Baton Rouge on Highland Road, a little old church on Highland. She said, on Highland, is that the healing church? Do you go to the healing church? I was afraid to say yes. <laughs> Please don't hurt me if I say yes. I said, yes, ma'am, that's, that's a church I go to. She said, what do you know about the healing church? I said, well, I know we, we love God and we try to help people. She said, did you know that I, back in 2005, I lived in New Orleans, and when Katrina hit New Orleans, my family lost everything. We had no clothes, no shoes, no food, no nothing. We found ourselves in Ascension Parish, and the healing church put shoes on my feet. This was 15 years ago. How many of you know people will always remember how you treat them when they're in their lowest moments? And then the thought hit me, compassion is the ability to step into somebody's shoes. You see, somebody at Healing Place Church gave. Somebody at HPC served. Somebody didn't care about sitting at the table. They didn't care about a place of prominence, but they looked for an opportunity of service. And in that moment, whew, her life was changed. Well, about that time, her boyfriend pulls up on a Harley. Come on, somebody. He had bigger muscles than she did. He was all leathered out, man. And so I was like, well, I see help is right here for you. God bless you. Here's my card. If you need me, let me know. And she said, he's the pastor of the healing church. I was like, man, doesn't it feel good to give with no strings attached? And we don't give. We don't serve to become famous. We serve to make Jesus famous. Come on, somebody. Are you with me? Do you receive that today? Put your hands together if you believe that. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.